welcome to the Preaching Matters Podcast. My name is Alan Carr, and I am your host. Thank you for listening to our episode today. On this podcast, we talk about preaching because we believe preaching matters, and we certainly want our preaching to be better. We want it to glorify God, and we want it to be biblical. And so that's what this podcast is about. We talk about all matters related to preaching because we believe preaching matters. So thank you for tuning in today. We're going to get right into the episode, but before we do, let me ask you to go to your favorite podcast directory and leave us a good review. We would appreciate that. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. Now, let's talk about preaching because preaching matters. Welcome back to the Preaching Matters Podcast. This is episode number 25, and I appreciate you being with me for this journey as we walk through the intricacies of sermon preparation, learning together how to prepare better sermons and be better preachers. Today, we're going to be talking about choosing a key word. Now, we're in the middle of this 12-step process of building a sermon outline based upon the key word method. And just a quick review, you choose your subject, which is the big idea. You choose your theme, which is a narrowing down of the subject into a preaching into a preaching theme. You also then write a proposition. You develop a propositional interrogative, which is the proposition turned into a question. And then you choose a key word. Today, we are at the key word. So the key word is really a homiletical device which is used to identify the main points of the sermon. If you think about it, as you study the text, all of these parallel ideas in the text are going, to begin, are going to begin to present themselves. And the main points of a keyword sermon are based on parallel ideas in the text using a mechanical outline and rigorous exegetical study. So this kind of layout will indicate whether you know, if you, if you, if you do a mechanical layout, do your mechanical outline, and that's going to show you whether a true parallel ideas exist. Okay. Now your parallel ideas will, I mean, not to get too technical, but it'll be a series. Sometimes it'll be a series of two or more independent clauses, two or more dependent clauses, or two or more modifying phrases, but they'll always be in the same category. So for instance, if you find one independent clause and two dependent clauses, they will not be parallel ideas because they're not parallel in the thrust and meaning of the text. So you've got to look at your text and say, what is this teaching? As you study through your text, these parallel ideas are going to present themselves. And the parallel ideas will always be in the same category, grammatically speaking. They is They will be independent clauses or dependent clauses or phrases which communicate the same kind of idea. You shouldn't mix these. In other words, your main points will not be, um, say, one dependent clause and two independent clauses. It should all be the same category because that gives your sermon cohesion. Plus, it also puts emphasis where the scripture puts emphasis. If you, if you take a dependent clause as one main point and an independent clause as another main point, well, you'll find out they're not really parallel in thrust and meaning within the text. So you've got to kind of keep this thing 
focused on what the scripture focuses on. Okay. So if the ideas being considered as main points are really parallel, they'll be capable of being identified collectively by a key word. And so we're talking about the keyword method and the keyword is at the heart of the keyword method. So the keyword, and this is important, get this, it will always be a plural noun because it's used to identify two or more main points. And there can be no exceptions to this. If you're going to use a keyword, you need to have at least two main ideas, main points. And the text is going to tell you how many you got. Okay. So as you study the text, the main ideas are going to present themselves. There may be two, there may be three, there may be four, there may be five, whatever it is. The text will give you the main ideas and there's no exception to that. You let the text drive the sermon. It's not up to you to talk about uh, two thoughts on prayer and then a word about tithing. <laughs> it's not in the text. So that's not how this works. You let the text tell you how many main points you should have. And what you're going to do is you're going to choose a plural noun, which identifies those main ideas in the text are the main points. So the keyword may or may not actually be found in the text. The text may talk about lies or woes or promises or prayers or whatever. And however many it's going to give you is however many you use. Okay. So you have to be careful not to try and find the keyword of the text because it's not going to be there. The keyword is up to you, a plural noun that you choose to identify the main thoughts in the text. I hope that makes sense. So you've got to discover this and you've got to label the parallel ideas yourself. For example, if you're reading a text, which has a series of because statements in it. So the preacher may justifiably choose a keyword like reasons. If the writer of the text keeps saying because of this, because of that, because of the other, then you are given some reasons why certain things are the way they are or as they should be. And so you can use reasons as your key word. And the key word is very helpful. You say, why is that? Because it helps you flow from point to point within your sermon and it helps it have a sense of cohesion. It brings it all together. It really makes the sermon flow. A good key word does. So for instance, if you're in the introduction and you're preparing to introduce your sermon and you're talking your way through it and you get down to the end and you, you may say, let me show you a few reasons from this text why this is true. Reason number one, and you preach that point. <clears throat> then you say something like having seen reason number one, let's explore reason number two. And then you get all the way to the end and you say, having understood these reasons, now here's what God expects us to do about it. And it gives you a connector. The key word is a connector, which connects the entire sermon together and around which it develops a sense of unity. And that really, really helps you, I think. So a text will list, I mean, hey, it may list several instructions or commands without even using that word, but they're there. The imperatives are there. The commands are clear. And so you might want to use the key word commands. And so think about that. So here's something I want you to get in mind. The key word is a direct response to the propositional interrogative. Now, remember the propositional interrogative is the proposition simply turned into a question. If, for example, the question asked is how, the response would be, you know, to, to answer the why question or the how question, and every 
one of your main points is going to answer that. And the key word is going to help you answer that question. The same as if the question is why or what or however. So let me give you a couple examples just so this is clear. So we use some of the same propositions and interrogatives, which we have used before. Here's the first example proposition. Every Christian can experience effective daily prayer. Now the interrogative is simple there. How can every Christian experience effective daily prayer? Now watch the response. By following the guidelines set forth in the text, every Christian can experience effective daily prayer. So in this case, we're using a text which apparently has guidelines, parallel thoughts as guidelines, and it teaches us what to do. Thus, guidelines is our key word. So as we flow from the introduction all the way through the conclusion, we're going to be stating the guidelines. So we're going to be pointing those out to our people, answering the question related to the proposition using guidelines. Another example, every Christian should pray daily. That's our proposition. The interrogative is why should every Christian pray daily? And the response is because of the benefits seen in this text, every Christian should pray daily. So the word benefits there is our key word. And every main point will be another benefit. That's what we're going to point out the benefits in the text. So I think you ought to use specific words rather than general. Um, if you use a word like things, and I hear this used a lot. You, you hear preachers talk about, I'm going to share three things with you today. And the first thing is things is very inspecific and things should never be used when you preach. You shouldn't talk about three things or four things or five things. What is a thing? I mean, really, what is a thing? A thing is a nonspecific entity. Things have names, right? They should have. I'm looking at my desk right now. I have in my hand a thing. It is a blue thing, and it says, Happy Birthday, uh, Jesus, on it. That's what it says. It's a blue thing that says, Happy Birthday, Jesus. Well, what does that tell you? It's a blue thing. You have no idea what it is, right? Well, what it is is a wristband, one of those rubber wristbands and silicone wristbands. And if I say it is a band, wristband, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Uh, in my hand right now, I have a white thing. And this white thing is about three inches by three inches square, and it's about two inches tall, and it's this thing that you, you write on this thing. That's what you do with this white thing, which I'm holding in my hand. But if I told you it's a note block, you know, note paper block, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, here's something cool I found on my desk. Hang on, let me grab it here. I'm in now the mic. It is a, it's a gray thing, and uh, it's got a pink nose, and, uh, yeah, it's a gray thing. It's got four legs and a tail, and I'm, I'm holding this thing, and uh, you say, well, what is this thing? Well, a thing doesn't tell you, does it? I'll tell you what it is. It's a wolf from Minecraft, a little plastic wolf. One of my grandkids gave it to me, and so I've got a Minecraft wolf on my desk. That's what this thing is. Oh, how about this thing? This thing right here is a red thing, and this inside this red thing is another thing which I really enjoy, and uh, I drink this thing, and I like it. This red thing is a cup, and my cup holds my coffee. So, hey, there we are. We know what we're doing now, right? It is not a thing. It is a cup, and inside this thing is coffee, and it has a straw because it's iced coffee, but uh, that's what th that thing is. There's all kind of things around me. But things are nonspecific. So when you get up to preach, don't ever say, and if you do, uh, may you may you develop lockjaw. No, I'm serious. It, well, I am serious. But, hey, 
if you use things, you should stop. You should eliminate that from your, from your vocabulary. Easy for me to say. You need to use a specific word which tells the people what they're talking about. Use something concrete and specific because the word things, while technically meeting the requirements of a keyword, because it is a plural noun, so to speak, it communicates virtually nothing. It tells no one a thing about what you're doing. So the keyword is going to match the parallel concepts in the preaching text as closely as possible. And what this does is you use a different keyword for every sermon, and you will. This will give every sermon a sense of freshness. That is, the sermons won't sound the same. It won't always be a thing here and a thing there, okay? It's going to have a specific word, which will identify the parallel thoughts in the text. It'll always be a plural noun, and that plural noun will go through you, go through you. It might go through you, but it'll go with you as you make your way through the sermon. And I really think the overall quality of your finished sermon outline will be greatly enhanced if you maintain precision here. If you use a word which precisely describes the parallel ideas in the text. So again, you're studying your text. And as you do, you notice the text suggests four commands four commands. Commands would be a tremendous key word. Even though the word may not be in the text, it's clear they are commands. Maybe God makes several promises in a text. Use the word promises. Perhaps God talks about some, uh, some guidelines or God gives some instructions or whatever you're finding in the text. That's what you should use as your key word. And so maybe you're reading along and there's a few thoughts you want to share. Thoughts is better than things. I promise you. And there is a long list of possible keywords. And my goodness, there's so many. I mean, let me just, just give you a few if I can. Actions. How about that? Mistakes. Motives. Names. Natures. Ideas. Necessities. Needs. Objects obstacles, occasions, invitations, joys, judgments, keys, deeds, details, effects, elements, parallels. I mean, I'm just going through this list because it is not comprehensive, but there's all liabilities, liberties, limits, periods, petitions, values, virtues. There's facts, factors, failures. There's all kind of warnings. I mean, the list could go on and on and on in ways. I mean, there's all kind of plural nouns out there. And what you need to understand is that every text is going to present you with some parallel ideas. It is those parallel ideas you need to identify during your exegetical study. As you break that text down using word studies, the keyword method, background study, all that stuff, you're doing everything you can to break that text apart and see what it really says. And as you do that, these parallel ideas are going to present themselves. Find you a plural noun, which connects with those key ideas. And then you use that to identify each one of your main points. Okay. Does that make sense? I hope it does because it's very important. The key word is important. Let's say I'm preaching through John. I'm preaching, going to preach John three sixteen, And that is a verse, which is part of a larger context, the meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus. 
beginning in uh, John chapter 3, verse number 1, and continuing on down a good ways. But I'm going to focus in on John 3.16 because that really is a tremendous passage, and you can preach from it. But as I read through that, there's, there's going to be several parallel ideas which will jump out at me. For instance, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what do I see there? First, I see, I see God. Now, I realize that's a passage about salvation, but I see God. He is the source of our salvation. And I see his love. I see the scope of his salvation for God so loved the world, right? That, that whosoever, there it is again, that whosoever believeth, that's the simplicity, should not perish, that's the security, but have everlasting life. And so I can look at that and I can try to come up with a key word which identifies all of those different ideas which present themselves related to salvation. I could talk about the means of salvation. I could talk about the glories of salvation. How about the wonders of salvation? That would be a good one. The wonder of God's love, the wonder of salvation source, the wonder of salvation scope, the wonder of salvation simplicity, the wonder of salvation security. And so I'm going to talk to you today about the wonders of salvation. Let me show you from this text the many wonders which we can enjoy related to the salvation we have in Christ. The first wonder I would point out is the wonder of salvation source. And I'm going to preach about that. When I finish that, having seen the wonder of salvation source, notice with me the wonder of salvation's, whatever I said, I can't remember at this point in time, simplicity. And so you just move through the text that way. And when you get to the end, having seen these wonders, I wonder if you understand the wonder of God's salvation and you bring it home and you, you, you call for a, you call for a response. Okay. So I'm trying to help you understand this keyword concept and I'm going to put some of this in the show notes and I hope you'll take time to look at that. And I will, I'll make this statement and then we're going to shut her down for today. This will be a short episode because uh, it just, you know, it is, but each sermon will only have one key word. Okay. Only one key word per sermon. That's it. You're limited to one. You cannot have two. You cannot have three. You can only have one. And if you use more than one, well, may all your children be born naked. That's the curse I'll place upon you. But each sermon can only have one key word and each point of the sermon will be one of whatever the key word is. Okay. If you're talking about, say, pictures, the text is painting pictures, and you see three pictures in the text, each point will be a picture. Does that make sense? One key word, and each point of the sermon will be one of whatever the key word is. So that's the key word. It's not hard. It is a plural noun which identifies the parallel ideas and concepts in the preaching text. And it is your job to find it and use it properly. It is a powerful tool. It will help your sermon to be better unified and to have better cohesiveness going from beginning to end if you choose and use a good keyword properly. And I am an advocate of the keyword method. I'm an advocate of the keyword. 
and I suggest you should use it and never, ever use the word things. We had a preacher in a former church. He's with the Lord now, but he was a country guy. I mean, he hadn't had any education. He really probably never even finished elementary school, to be honest about it. But he would get up to preach, and I would let him preach from time to time, and he would get up, and he would say, I'm going to share three things with you today. The first thing, and he'd preach about that. Then the second thing, and that was his, that was his way. He didn't know any better, and he couldn't do any better. But you and I know better, and we should never use things. If you're from the South in America, you know what a thing is. A thing is anything that you don't want to identify by a proper noun. But we're not going to talk about things. We're going to talk about specific plural nouns to identify the parallel ideas in our text. Well, there you are. So thank you for being with me today. Thank you for playing along. Hey, listen, we got a Patreon account now. If you'd like to invest in our ministry and help us out a little bit with the expenses, you can do so at our Patreon link. It'll be in the show notes. We'd appreciate you going over there and helping us out. It'd be a great blessing to us. And be sure to like this and share this and comment on this and email me at alancar at gmail.com, alancar at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. like to get ideas about uh, future episodes from you. Talked to a guy from Georgia this week, and he gave me a couple of ideas, and I'm really thankful for that, grateful. It's a blessing. And so reach out to me. I'm here to help. And if you need my clarification or anything, don't hesitate to let me know. I'm not afraid of your questions. In fact, I would love to to have an opportunity to try and answer some of your questions about preaching and about the crazy things I say on here. Sorry, I'm a little scattered today. Been kind of under the weather for several days and uh, still felt like I needed to podcast. And so, yeah, I'm recording. Well, God bless you. Take care of yourself. Be kind to others. And Lord willing, I'll see you back here next week on the Preaching Matters Podcast. Thank you once again for joining us today on the Preaching Matters Podcast. We'll try to have a new episode out next week. So I encourage you, if you enjoyed the episode or you think someone else would enjoy it, first, I want you to subscribe. And I'd like for you to leave a positive review on the platform of your choice or on several if you choose. And I'd like for you to tell somebody else about it. This is a podcast for preachers. If you are a preacher or know some preacher who might benefit, share the news. God bless you. Thanks for being here. I pray that preaching goes well for you. God blesses you in your work for his glory. Pray for us, and Lord willing, we'll see you next week.